Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. All right. Hey, Joey. Uh, welcome. Hey. Cut for Time. And everyone That's listening. right. Yeah, welcome everybody that's listening. It's a new episode of Cut for Time, straight to your ears every Wednesday. This is fun. All right, so Joey, give us yeah. a rundown from your sermon on Sunday. Okay, yeah. So we were in Acts chapter three, very beginning of chapter three, first 10 verses. Um, I called it The Beggar because we were looking at the story of this lame beggar who's sitting at uh, this the temple gate, you know, waiting as people go in and basically asking for money. It's the only thing he could do. Um, by the way, I... I, a couple of times mentioned how old this guy is, that he's 40, you know, doesn't actually say that in these 10 verses. It doesn't say that until almost the halfway through chapter four, verse 22, like for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Right. So anyway, Mm -hmm. it's just in case anyone was wondering, I wasn't making that up that he was 40 year old, 40 no years old. No, no. I did think myself, cause I'm reading commentaries that are talking about how old he is. I'm like, but that's not in there anywhere. It must be in there somewhere. And then again, yeah, no, there it is. Gotcha. So, yeah. And anyway, we're looking at this guy's story because, so Luke includes this one particular healing, this uh, as a sign or a wonder. If you, if you read all the way through, especially the first couple of chapters of Acts, that word, those words, signs and wonders keep showing up over and over and over again, along with, you know, amazed, marveled, wondered, astonished, those kind of reaction words. And it's important um, because at the end of chapter two, we get this summary of what the community is like. And it says in there, all came upon every soul, many wonders and signs being done through the apostles. And then Luke says, for example, and he gives us this one, and he chooses this one particularly, I said, because of some theological reasons about how it shows, you know, the role of the temple and um, the upside down nature or right side up nature of the kingdom of God, but also because this is the healing that gets the religious authorities um, angry with them, and it starts the initial waves of persecution coming. So this story in particular both moves the plot forward and unveils some of these you know big themes that luke really hits of like the poor uh, and taking care of the poor and the reversal of roles and stuff like that so my, my main focus one of the things i really wanted to do was to try to help us understand what life for this guy would have been like and why it's so significant that he's not in the temple and then he goes into the temple and what for him, the whole meaning of the temple would be. And so there, I, I was talking a lot about how he's on the outside, um, but is brought inside because of the healing of Jesus, that he's upside down, but his, his life is then brought right side up because of the healing of Jesus. And basically the, the, the point, what I wanted to get across ultimately is that the miracle, yes, there's a miracle of the healing in his feet and ankles, it says specifically from this congenital birth defect that has made him lame his entire life. Um, And that's wonderful and that's glorious and it's worth celebrating, but it's nothing compared to the miracle of new life. You know, I I think sometimes, you know, we ask the questions of like, well, how much should we expect to see like miracles today, you know, miracles of healing and like, can we perform miracles of healing and stuff like that? And those are great questions and totally worth talking about. But I think we tend to forget that the miracle of healing pales in comparison to the miracle of new life in Christ. 
and we're commanded to be part of the miracle of new life in Jesus, of proclaiming to people by the authority of Jesus that you can have new life in him. And every time somebody comes, you know, moves from spiritual death to life because of the proclamation of who Jesus is, it's like we got to witness a miracle. It's It doesn't seem as astounding as, you know, someone being healed, but it, that's because it is much more deeper, much more profound, much wholer, whole, more longer lasting, obviously, because it's spiritual life, not just physical life. Mm -hmm. So Joey, I've got some tech questions for you. Um, you had mentioned in your sermon a little bit about like the response from the religious authorities, um, but mm -hmm. I don't see that necessarily in the text. Um, you talked about how they had a problem with them saying in Jesus's name, right? They're yes, like, you yeah. can do this. You yep. can, you can perform these miracles, but don't use Jesus's name. Like, where right. did you get that from? And how, you know, like, how do we know that that's true? Yeah. So that comes up in chapter four, right? Okay. So um, there's some really interesting parallels here. So in, in chapter two, um, we have, an, and, and I'm indebted to a particular commentary that I read on this, but in chapter two, we have the apostles being mighty in word. You know, there's this, there's the other languages and then the preaching. And then in chapter three, they are mighty indeed. We, uh, we see this miracle that they're performing here. Chapter two is about how Jesus's presence in the church is empowering through the Holy Spirit. And in chapter three and four, it's all this discussion about how Jesus's presence presence is in the church through his name and he's saving people. Um, when the spirit was poured out, Peter had to explain what that meant. When this healing happens, Peter then has to explain what it means. The sermon at Pentecost explaining the coming of the spirit is interrupted by people saying, what do we do with this? You know, what do we do? And the sermon about the healing of the lame guy is interrupted by the religious authorities going, what do we do with these men? How do we get them to stop? So it's just all these parallels going all the way across between chapter two and chapters three and four. And so reading into, so the rest of three and, and pastor Tom is going to cover that this Sunday um, is Peter's sermon here explaining what just happened. You should expect to see this sort of thing, right? Um, he's like, um, you know, why are you wondering at this? And why do you think we're doing this out of our own power and piety? It's not us. It's it's God who glorified his servant Jesus. And then he explains, like, this guy was the Messiah. How'd you miss it? Mm -hmm. um, and it's from there then that the, the uh, authorities come in and basically say, uh, time out they inquire and they're like, no, no more preaching in his name. And so like chapter okay. three, chapter four, just, you see the name of Jesus, name of Jesus, name of Jesus over and over and over again, because the name stands for the authority of Jesus's message. Mm -hmm. And so we use Jesus's name. Uh, we tack it on at the end of a prayer. Um, mm -hmm. What meaning do we lose when we do that? Why do we do it in the first place? Um, and mm -hmm. do you think mm -hmm. that like, are these kind of similar? Like you, yeah, a good question. Um, we put it at the end of a prayer because Jesus said, "In anything you ask in my name, you know, I will grant to you." Now, Jesus wasn't saying you, we could use his name like an incantation or a magical formula. Um, and actually, there's like been history of interpreting these passages incorrectly to to say like you know there's some something about the way you say Jesus's name that gets stuff done, um, whether it you know, demons cower in front of Jesus's name or healing can be done just simply because of the name Jesus. Um, 
but actually in Acts, we'll see that there's a couple of passages coming up where they go toe to toe with magicians. And there's one particular, the sons of Sceva, I think is the story. And I forget what chapter this in, maybe some chapter eight uh, or later. No, it's later than that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, where they try to drive out demons and using Jesus's name as sort of like a magical thing. And the demons are like, we don't know, we know who Jesus is, but we don't know who you are. And they just swarm out and take them down. It's like, <laughs> you can't just use Jesus's name, like, like a magical formula. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes when we pray, we say in Jesus's name, amen, because Jesus said to pray in his name. So we're like, we'll just put it on the end of it. Now, what Jesus is saying there is like, if you are praying according, according to my will for you and my plan for you and what I have revealed about the kingdom of God and what it looks like, you know, in my name in my authority then you know i'll grant it. it it'd be sort of like i could um you know say um right i've got a boss who sends me on an errand and he says you know go to this place and ask for a thing um and if you ask in my name they'll give it to you because if i go and i'm like hey you owe me whatever and they're like who are you like why would we give it to you say like, no, no no you don't understand i'm coming on behalf of my boss. So I'm asking in his name for this. And they're like, oh yeah, well his authority we recognize. So yeah. I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we put in Jesus name, amen, kind of like we just say it. Um, I don't think we, I don't certainly always think about what that means. Um, probably better to say something along the lines of, and Jesus, if, if it's your, if it's your will, whatever pleases you grant, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, all right. So Joey, you had three application points for your sermon. Yes. What were they? Because maybe we missed one in second service. I did. I had a couple people ask, um, Hey, you said you had three, you know, it's funny because the first sermon I said, I have a couple of thoughts and then I gave them. And then somebody who was giving me some feedback afterwards is like, Hey, you had three, say three thoughts, you know? So I said three second hour, Hey, three thoughts. And then I forgot to say, and third, instead I just said it. So, uh, my my main three application thoughts were first not being being first we need to be careful not to over apply the the miraculous healing part of this this passage and you know I didn't have time to dig into it more and, and maybe I should have anyway um, but it, it's interesting there's there's a lot of parallels uh, people point this out too between the healing in Acts three and Jesus healing a paralytic in Luke five. And remember, Luke's telling, he's the one recounting both of these stories. So in Luke 5, the, the main difference is that when Jesus heals, Jesus doesn't have to appeal to someone outside of himself. Mm -hmm. Peter does. Peter has to say, in the name of Jesus, you know, by the authority of Jesus. Um, Jesus can just say, I heal you, right? So in terms of like healings today and to what extent, could we expect miraculous healings? I'm probably most comfortable saying Jesus can say, I choose to heal you. And Peter, John, the apostles, um, those we read about in the New Testament can say, Jesus chooses to heal you. And I think you and I can say, Jesus, if you choose to heal, and then yeah, the prayer. Right. I, I wouldn't, I'm not comfortable pushing it much further than that. I, I certainly don't think I have any sort of, you know, apostolic authority to say to someone who's sick or, 
whatever is going on, you know, to say by the authority of the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I say, be healed, right? Uh, I, I think it's, I'm not an apostle, right? I'm, so um, I, I'm willing to say, Jesus, if it's your will, but I certainly do not have the authority to say it is Jesus's will that. So, and I, since I can't use Jesus's name as like a magical formula, because that's not what it is, you know, that's, that's what I'm left with is Jesus, if it's your will. So anyway, first application point was let's not like over apply the miracle. Like if we just yeah. had enough faith, we'd be doing all these sort of miracles. Because remember, the greater miracle is new life in Christ. The greatest miracle is not physical healing. It's spiritual healing, spiritual wholeness. So we have to remember mm -hmm. that. And that's the part we're commanded to be part of. We get to be part of the bigger miracle. Um, so that was the first part, first one. The second one was, I, I just talked about being struck by the way Peter and John saw this guy, the lame man, who's generally, you know, background furniture, right? In the way we go about our daily lives. And so I asked a question or some version of the question, like, who is the gospel sending me to today? Are my eyes open enough to see who the gospel, who God is sending me to, you know, with the gospel today? Um, and then I forgot to say, and thirdly, uh, my third one was to those who feel like they are on the outside. If you feel like you are on the outside, you know, if you know you've never been in the presence of God or, or felt the peace that knows of being forgiven, then the message to this person today is the same as to this lay man. You know, I don't, I don't have any money to help, but Jesus is holding out his hand to lift you into new life. So third application was, you know, be either be reminded of the life you have in Christ, which is kind of where my like personal story was, um, or um be invited into that life for the first time. Yes. Great. Okay. Um, so Joey, is there anything that you had to cut for time during your sermon that you wish you could have included? Yeah. You know, you probably noticed Claire and others did too, that I spent a lot of time talking about the role and the function of the temple in Jewish culture. You know, it's, it's not just a, it's not just a religious site, but it's the center of religious and social and political and economic and artistic, cultural, you know, it is really a cultural center. You know, one of the things that we do as sort of late modern Westerns is we, Western people is we, we tend to separate out the religious from the economic, from the personal, from the spiritual, from the political. And we like think of these things as different areas that can all be separated out independently of each other. And so we sometimes struggle, we read our own sort of situation back into passages like Acts 3, when we're just like, you know, we would read it and be like, oh, well, here's the guy who can't go to church. It's like, it's way more than that. It's like, here's a guy who can't have a life. But at the same time, we can sometimes um, kind of going the other direction with it, we can fail to grasp what how the people living in this time are so much different than the way we're living now in terms of what we believe, what we even think is plausible to believe, sort of the, the default assumptions about how the world works that we have that they, they don't have uh, or don't share in common because different culture and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. There's tons more I could say about that. I'm actually teaching a deep dive in a week and a half, I guess, yeah, a week and a half or yeah. so at the end of July that's kind of on this, that's like, how how do we now see and think about the world differently than human beings have in the past? Not just, you know, it's a little bit of a different culture. We sometimes talk about, you know, it's well, Jewish culture then versus our culture now, but there's a number of ways we think about the world differently that 
we, without realizing it, read back into scripture because it was written with different assumptions in mind than the basic assumptions we hold. So again, yeah, I could talk about the whole a whole lot more, but I'm going to teach five hours on this kind of stuff in July, um, which we don't, we don't usually record these things because there's too much like, you know, you got PowerPoint slides and class discussion and stuff like that. So uh, you just got to come, sign up and come. I think it's yeah. July Saturday 29th. the Oh, the 29th. Thank you. And yep. it's like 10 or 20 bucks and food's included. Nine to two so. foods included. Yes. And it's $20 for your initial registration and $10 if you have a spouse or a you friend coming. Bring people coming along with you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that'll be fun. So anyway, back to okay. what we were talking about before. Yeah. And as a side note, you know, there was, there was a fun story that I heard, an apocryphal story that, um, kind of took the application of the passage off into a different direction. I, I didn't really want to go there, but the story is told about St. Thomas Aquinas, um, you know, who's about a thousand years ago, that supposedly one day he has an audience with the Pope and he goes into the Pope's residence uh, for this appointment. And the Pope is sitting there counting out funds from a very large pile of coins. And the, uh, the Pope says to St. Thomas, whose nickname, by the way, was the dumb ox, because he was a very large guy and slow to speak. Um, so says to a brilliant guy, right? Obviously, but anyway, says to him something like, no longer shall the church be forced to say silver and gold have I none. Mm. And uh, St. Thomas responds with, be that as it may, but no longer will the church have the authority to say, and in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Mm. And it, it was sort of like this play on like, oof, um, the, the kind of worldliness that can come from boy, if we just had more money, then we'd really be able to make a difference for Jesus, right? And uh, that, that's more of a, probably an application for church leaders uh, to think about than it is for the church at large um, to say if, you know, if you think you just need a bigger budget in order to, to finally, you know, unleash God's power somewhere, it's like, um, God doesn't need our money to bring people to him. Um, and uh, we should resist that temptation. All right, so Joey, you kind of, Maybe did you give away too much about what Joe, what uh, Tom is going to be preaching on in the next, you know, or any upcoming sermon? Because you kind of took us through the rest of chapter three and looking at chapter four. Um, right, right. You know, what are we looking ahead to, and what should we kind of carry with us or like keep in mind as we go into the next next study? Yeah, well, I think we should keep in mind that. So for the next week, for Tom's week, really keep in mind context. One of the things that we have got to make sure we keep doing as we read Acts is understanding the backgrounds of the people that are being spoken to. So when we get to Peter's uh, explanation of this sermon, we got to remember he is talking to devout Jewish people, people who believe in God and believe that God is going to rescue the world through his Messiah. They just don't believe that Jesus is that Messiah. And Peter's trying to convince them that, no, he is that Messiah. Look, you know, see what's happened here. So we got to remember in that one, like, hey, there is a lot of beliefs held in common um, between Peter and the people he's talking to. And try to keep that in mind as we read, you know, as we hear Tom um, preaching this one. Uh, and, and then, of course, going on to the next one. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving away a little bit of the... Uh, the story going forward, but understanding where the story's going helps us understand why Luke includes it here and what it's instructing us, you know, how it's instructing us. So mm -hmm. we're still going to, we're going to have a lot of fun 
at least I think we're gonna have a lot of fun. So Tom's preaching and then Jeff's preaching a couple of times. And so I think it'll be good. And we'll see why this whole section culminates in a prayer for boldness to speak and teach in Jesus's name, right? It goes all the way back to as, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? It all ties all the way back into that Old Testament passage that Peter quotes way back on the day of Pentecost. So okay. those through lines just keep, you know, weaving through these stories. That's awesome. Okay. Thanks for your expertise, Joey, in that detail. We appreciate your time when you study the text and you can, you spend hours and hours and hours and you can um, then just give us all those little nuggets. That's smorgasbord. The little, the, <laughs> yes. The, uh, the charcuterie of delightful exegetical details. Yes. Oh, all right. Thanks, Joey. Hey, thanks. Yeah. All right. I'll be back in a couple of weeks after uh, we're going to have a treat with uh, Tom and Jeff the next couple of weeks. Okay. And come to Joey's Deep Dive. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. This audio feast that we've prepared, that we've laid out for everyone. We've got this hot steaming pile of audio nuggets. Nuggets, that's what I was going to say. Yeah.